We're grateful for the Lord. We're grateful for His work in our church, in our lives, in our families. And I want to invite you to join me in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 in your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We are working through the book of 1 Thessalonians in a series uh, entitled The Triumphant Church. And we're grateful that God has called us to not, not just uh, an apathetic ministry, not just a, a normal ministry, but a truly a triumphant ministry and a triumphant uh, calling in our life. And so we're uh, so grateful for the ministry of Paul, uh, how that he ministered to the church in Thessalonica, not just when he came to, through Thessalonica and won souls, but also through the letters that he wrote to that church uh, it left, with, left for us, the church of today, such an incredible uh, uh, encouragement to continue to pursue the excellence that God's called us to. And so I want to just share with you a little bit from these verses, and we'll get to that in a second, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5. Joe Theismann, anybody know who he is? Even if you don't know football, you know Joe Theismann. And so he was uh, a 12-year career as quarterback of the Washington Redskins. He led the team to two Super Bowl appearances, winning in 1983 before losing the following year. Uh, when a leg injury forced him out of football in 1985, he was entrenched in the record book as Washington's all-time leading passer. Still, the tail end of Theismann's career uh, taught him a bitter lesson. He said, I got stagnant. I thought the team revolved around me. I should have known it was time to go when I didn't care whether a pass hit Art Monk in the eight or on the one. Uh, when we went back to, Super, to the Super Bowl, my approach had changed. I was griping about the weather, my shoes, practice times, everything. Today, I wear my two rings. The winner's ring from, Super Bowl, uh, the, from the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 27, and the loser's ring from Super Bowl 28. The difference in those two rings lies in applying oneself and not accepting anything but the best. What a hard lesson to learn. You know, even if you're not a football fan, it doesn't matter. You can appreciate what he says. To, to know what it is to, uh, to win and then to be so arrogant and so proud and so uh, complacent, if you will, that you uh, quit giving it your very best. I am encouraged by Paul's uh, letter here that we as a church continue to pursue excellence. Edwin Bliss said this, The pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy. The pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time. So God's not calling us to be perfect. God wants us just to do, give our very best, and our very best is, is in all of us is worthy uh, of God. And so we think about this, whether you're an athlete or an artist, whatever it may be, it's not as important as giving our very best here uh, in the ministry at the church. And so my desire is that God, no matter if we're in the... Uh, that, that we give our very best. I, I live by a quote that says, excellence is invisible. And what I mean by that is uh, that no matter where you're at, uh, you know, if you do your job really well, sometimes no one will say anything. But do your job wrong and people will notice. I used to do the bulletin at the church and when I did the bulletin, I often got the dates wrong, didn't I, Pastor Tolbert? He says once in a while, he was very gracious. I would get it wrong a lot in the while. But let me tell you, when I got the date wrong, everybody let me know when I got it wrong. No one told me when I got it right, just when I got it wrong. I think about the sound booth in the media booth back there. Well, I've got a picture I want to share with you. Anybody notice something peculiar about that last word? Yeah, okay, you got it. 
This is what happens even in the sound booth. We, we, we don't think about the sound until we can't hear. Or we don't think about the sound guy until something squelches. And then we all turn around like, what in the world are you doing back there? Or if we've got a misplaced, a misspelled word, we're thinking, man, what in the world is that guy doing? You know, excellence is invisible, especially in the sound booth. And let me just say, uh, we've got two guys back there that are doing a fantastic job. And they're our fill-ins, and they're still doing a great job. And our other two guys are just fantastic as well. And we're thankful for all of the ministry workers at Hillside. Appreciate Sister Kay filling in today, Sister Diana. You know, every hand is important in the ministry. And when we give God our very best, He is truly glorified. Let's take a moment and read our text tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 5. Would you stand with me, please? Let's, let's read this together from the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 5 gives you a chance to get that blood flowing again. It says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as we know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have burden, uh, excuse me, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God." who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the, the word of God. Thank you for the reminder from the Apostle Paul. Lord, thank you for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can trust your word because it is infallible. And so today in our lives, may we have a desire to uh, not grow complacent, but instead to continue to uh, be faithful, be steadfast until the day you call us home. We're thankful, Lord. We're thankful for the, the work of God, and we pray that you would help us to continue to pursue excellence in our life, in our ministry here at Hillside. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to look at two things uh, as we take a moment and we grow together from God's Word. I want to look at two things regarding the call to pursue excellence. There are really two characteristics that I want to, I want to just point at here tonight. First off, a holy conduct, and secondly, we'll look at, look at a heavenly concern. I'm not sure if we'll get to the second one tonight, but at least we'll get started. And so as we think about a holy conduct, uh, we think about our lives and the lifestyle that God's called us to. Truly, God has a plan for our life, and that needs to be, first off, full of integrity. If you look at verses number 5 and 6, I see that, that Paul here, as he preached the gospel, as he proclaimed the gospel, he wanted to make sure his life was above reproach. And truly, that's the calling of every pastor or every uh, missionary or every evangelist, that they live above reproach, that no one could come and say, listen, you had your hand in the cookie jar, or listen, you shouldn't have had, uh, been involved in that there. And so God is calling us uh, to live in this manner. In verse number 5 it says, For neither at any time used we flattering words... As you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Let's take a second and look at some of this. Consider some of the things that Paul shunned here. He, he shunned all guile. He says um, in verse 5, Neither used we any flattering words. We, we think about Paul and his colleagues as they began to preach and they began to proclaim and they began to uh, share the gospel of Christ. 
Obviously, you would say many times that they didn't try to use flattering or flowery words. What they did was they proclaimed the truth. You ever notice that sometimes we use flattery to get people to do what we want them to do? Amen. Uh, maybe you got a boss that likes to do that. He, you know, he comes along beside you and says, Man, you're doing such a great job. And because you're doing such a great job there, why don't you come and do this too? I know you'll do just a fantastic job there too. You know what he's doing? He's trying to get you to do what he wants. Paul says, Listen, we didn't use flattery. We didn't use flowery words. We didn't use this kind of influence in people. But instead, he said, We used the truth. I'm going to compare and contrast here with uh, Paul and Tertullus. Look in Acts chapter 24, and verses 2 and 3. Tertullus was the lawyer whom the Jews had hired to press charges against Paul before Felix, uh, the Roman governor. And he used flattery with the Roman governor. Look here in Acts chapter 24, verses 2 and 3. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, talking about Paul, accuse Paul, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Look at these words that he's talking to Felix. As he says, he says we, that uh, you've done very worthy deeds. And, and because of uh, his providence, because of his work, then they enjoy quietness, and they enjoy uh, peace in their nation. He was a liar. He, he didn't care anything about this, about Felix. All he wanted to do was gain an audience and gain him uh, to his listening ear. Paul scorned such words. And he, he said, listen, it's not time to be fawning over words, but instead to speak truth. And we'll look later in that chapter, Acts 24 and verse 10. This is Paul's reply. He says, then Paul, after that, gov after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, for as much as I, as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself. He was speaking truth. He says, listen, you've been a judge. You've been around here. You know, uh, you know the intricacies of Judaism. You know the, the conflict between the Sadducees and the Christians, or the Sanhedrin and the Christians. He said, you know all that's going on. Felix, you are aware of this situation, and so I'm grateful that it's you and not somebody who's ignorant. That's a huge difference, isn't there? And Paul was saying in Thessalon in the, to the church of Thessalonica, listen, we didn't try to itch your ears, we didn't try to give you uh, soft messages, but instead we preached and told the truth. Amen. He did it in a good way, amen? But I also will see that Paul had no ulterior motives here. He wasn't looking to uh, gain their uh, monetary advances. In verse number 5, he says, uh, Neither for at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. I believe that Paul probably struggled before he was saved with this issue of covetousness. Look at Romans 7, 7 with me. I think as after he was saved, Paul avoided covetousness like the plague. And so he said, listen, I don't want any of your uh, any money. I don't want any of that because that's not why I'm doing this. And so he really tried to avoid this. And in Romans 7, 7, he said this. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Of his own personal testimony, he's saying, listen, when the, when the law came down to it, he said, that tenth commandment I struggled with, thou shalt not covet. The young Saul of Tarsus, before he was saved, he may have been secure in his religious armor. 
He could run his eye down the uh, Decalogue and truly claim that, that, he was, uh, that he was pure before God in every manner but one. And matter of fact, he even wrote about that later. And we'll look at that in Philippians in just a moment. But he said he had never had any God but the true God. He'd never bowed to any graven image. He had never taken the Lord's name in vain. He'd always honored his parents. He'd never profaned the Sabbath. He'd never killed or stolen or committed adultery or bore false witness. But when it came to thou shalt not covet, it smote him. Right between the eyes, if you know what I mean. That tenth commandment probed his inner life and exposed who he was. Listen, yours may not be the 10th commandment, it may be something different, but listen, no matter what it is, God reminds us that He is able to bring salvation. As a Christian, His inner life was controlled by the Holy Spirit. He, he didn't struggle anymore with this same thing. He had a, and so he put, a, he put a guard around covetousness. And I think that's what he's talking about here. He says, neither with a cloak of covetousness. Listen, we guarded ourselves in this young church. We didn't want anybody to be able to come in and say, listen, you just did this uh, like a pyramid scheme so that you could be the top dog and you could receive all of our offerings. He didn't say that at all. Instead, he was saying, listen, I, I live my life above reproach, a man of integrity. I want to make sure that there is nothing that, at all that would be able to point blame to Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the office of a prophet was greater than that of a priest or even a king. In the Old Testament, a prophet such as Samuel could step into the priest's office and could offer a sacrifice. A king couldn't do that. In the Old Testament... A prophet such as Nathan could rebuke a king like he did to David. No priest of Israel could be a king and no king could be a priest. But a prophet could be a king or a member of the royal family like Daniel was. He could be a priest as Jeremiah and Ezekiel were. Or he could be a nobody like Amos was. When a prophet stepped on stage in the Old Testament Israel, all other actors were willing to step back. Truly, a prophet was a, a high office. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us about the gifts. The gifts of the evangelist, the gift of the pastor and the teacher. They are, all of them are excellent gifts. But then there's also the gift of the prophet, which we uh, recognize as one of the gifts that has ceased. But, uh, but there is uh, no gift compared like that of the apostle. Consider this. The apostle was... Uh, was some of God's chosen men. Matter of fact, Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says that these men's names are immortalized in the foundation sto stones of New Jerusalem. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall uh, be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I didn't get the right text there. It's later in, in Revelation 21. I think it's verse number 7. But it tells us that the names of the apostles are on the foundation stones. No secular office can compare with that of the apostle. No king, no president, no Caesar, no emperor, no church dignitary, no general, nothing can compare with that of what the apostles were able to help. And we consider Paul, truly, he was the chief of the apostles. And yet he said this in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should uh, glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Listen, he said, all of these other things, all these great things that, that people say that I am, I am nothing. He said, I want to live my life in such a way that people look to Jesus Christ and God gets the glorified, God is glorified for my life. He says, I don't want anything to bring a reproach to the name of my Savior. And truly, that's got to be our desire. If we want to pursue excellence, it's got to be about Jesus Christ, above and him, about Him first and foremost, not about me or not about uh, my ministry or not about uh, you know, uh, this particular thing, but always about the Savior. He said this, Philippians chapter 3. He said, though, in Philippians 3 and verse, uh, verse 4, turn there with me in your Bibles. I think this is great to just see in your own Bible. I know it's on the screen, but, um, but it's just really great to, to use your Bible here. It says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, he said, I more. Listen, if you think you had something to trust in, if you thought your flesh could get you there, I could do it even more than you. And he said this, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. His life was truly a life that was lived above reproach. But this is what he said in verse 8. So look there with me. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. All of these things that I thought were so great, he said, are useless. All of these things that I thought were, thought were so fantastic, he said, they were worthless because, listen, without Jesus Christ, there is no remission of sins. These words that he used here, he said uh, in, in the text in verse number 6, he says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you yet as others, when we have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. This burdensome literally means a physical burden or something that makes a de demand upon one's resources. Paul bent over backwards so that he wouldn't ha have to take advantage of his apostolic gift. He didn't want people to think that, that just because he was an apostle that people had to give money to him. But instead, he lived his wife, life in such a way in front of these Thessalonians that he said, listen, I want to live my life in such a way that you honor Jesus, not me. He had every right to be reimbursed, but refused it. He labored. He worked. Amen. We know Jim Paul, he was not a slouch concerning work. He was not a man that said, you know what, I can do whatever I want because I'm the Apostle Paul. But instead he said, I am nothing. He was full of gentleness. Think about that. He was a man of integrity, but he was also full of gentleness. Look in verses 7 and 8 in our text. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. It says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Did you ever think about Paul? He seemed to have all the gifts. You, you remember that guy in high school? He, he, had, he was the most talented kid on the basketball team. He played basketball. He played football. Man, he had, uh, he had the, the nicest car in the parking lot. You know what I'm talking about? You know, he had all the, the num numbers, the phone numbers for all the prettiest girls in high school, you know. And he dated them all and already, uh, and already quit dating them all. And he was on around two or three. You know what I mean? That, that, that kind of guy. Paul seems in my mind like that kind of guy. 
He just had all the gifts. He, had, he was a, a superb scholar. He was a first-class theologian. He had a giant intellect. He loved to study. We learned later in his life, he asked them to bring the books, the parchments. People who are like that typically are neglectful of people, but Paul wasn't. Paul was an organizer. He was a manager, and he was a strategic planner. And often people who are like this tend to use people, but Paul loved people. Paul was a man who loved the people who were lost, and he made himself an effective witness because of his love for the lost people. Listen, he was a tremendous, tremendous missionary. He loved the lost in the world. And far from having any desire to exploit his converts, Paul said he was gentle toward them. Instead of trying to gain over what, they had, what he had invested, instead he was gentle toward them. This word gentle is a word that the Greeks used to des- describe the kindness displayed by parents toward children. And that's what he, po- he points to as a nurse chariot her, her children. A nurse, literally a wet nurse. Man, uh, what, I've, what I've noticed is that a, a nursing mother cares for that child. She protects that baby. I don't ask to hold nursing babies. You know why? Not because I, don't, I think they're going to break, but because I know that mamas are protective. Now, if you want me to hold your baby, I love to hold babies. But I don't want to ask because that's her child. It's a precious thing to her. And this is what, what he said. Listen, I didn't just see you saved, but I also wanted to make sure that in your life you were able to grow up in godliness. Because of the love of God uh, in his life and his love for people, he said, listen, it's not just about being, uh, uh, being someone who wins you to Christ, but also someone who nourishes and the one who builds you up, one who gives you what you need so that you can become what Christ wants you to be. That's what Paul said his ministry was. The word for ch- uh, cherishing here uh, is thalapo, which means literally to warm It's the word in the Septuagint that's used of a bird's nestling its young beneath its feathers. If you will, that protection of a mother bird over its young in the nest. He said, that was my mentality toward you. I wanted to care for you. Listen, in a church, when we have new people, people who come to Christ, people who are new in the church, God calls us and says, listen, let's nourish them. Let's cherish them. Let's gather them in and let's love them to Jesus Christ. Let's invite them to Sunday dinner. Let's invite them to our home and fellowship with them. Let's teach them what it is to live a godly life. Let's get them involved in discipleship. Let's make sure they find a good Sunday school class where they can grow. God says, church, if you want to to, uh, truly nourish those, let's make sure we bring them in and let's make sure that we love them to Christ. The whole picture is a picture of a tender, loving care. It's not exploiting, but instead, it's truly bringing them into the knowledge of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 8, he says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Listen, there is sincerity in Paul's uh, passion for this people. He really loved the church in Thessalonica. It wasn't just flowery flowery words or flattering words, as he said before, but it was sincere. Years ago, a missionary in Africa was walking down a forest path. 
And, and some while before then, and just a few days before, there was a great fire that had ravaged this area. And as he was going along, he saw the remains of a, a charred nest and a mother hen on the nest on the ground. And he walked over and he kind of kicked it. And as he kicked it, some little chicks ran out from underneath that nest. That mother, by her instinct, had gathered those chicks, laid on top of them, and given her life for these chicks. This is the same thought that Paul brings here. He says, listen, even if it was my own life, I want to bring you in. I want to love you. I want to care for you like you're my own chick or my own child. I want to care for you just like that. The love of a mother hen toward her chicks is truly a creature love, but the love that Paul had for the converts was a Calvary love. He brought them the gospel. Truly, there was no, nothing greater than the gospel. He says the gospel of God. We're not talking about uh, anything other than the gospel that brings salvation. And look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. He says, For we stretch not ourselves beyond measure, for as though we reached not unto you, we were, we, uh, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. They carried the gospel into the church of Corinth. And then uh, Ephesians 1, it says, In whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Listen, that's what the gospel does. It is the gospel of salvation today. It's a gospel, the gospel of God is the, the, what everyone needs in the world today. When Paul brought this gospel in, the Greeks had quite the array of gods already. They had, they had a multiplicity of gods, and truly, uh, from those who were scheming, those who were lustful, those who were quarrelsome, those who were warring, those who were vengeful, those who were malicious, and those who uh, were just, those are just a few of them. And we think about uh, Greek mythology, and a lot of these things was what was taught commonly during that time. And as we, as we, if you've studied any of that, you understand that it was a confusing, confusing religion. Well, who am I supposed to offer this, all, uh, this offering to? And what, G, what Paul said was he came to this church is there is one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. It was the gospel of God. Only one that could save. It was good news. And so when Paul, he came into the church in Thessalonica, he said, listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the same gospel that, that Paul preached. God wasn't like these gods imagined by the, by the Jews either. A God that was concerned with circumcision. A God that was concerned with the Sabbath or dietary restrictions or animal sacrifices and endless rules and rituals. But it was the gospel of God swept aside those notions and focused on the good news of Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians truly were forever in Paul's debt. But Paul said, not a cloak of covetousness. We're going to live above reproach. I'm going to make sure that my life is one that has lived truly how God wants me to live. But he also had a life of compassion. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Notice the compassion that Paul 
caused him uh, that Paul had that caused him to share the gospel. Paul liked to put, uh, excuse me. Paul liked to pay his own way. When he's short on funds, he would make sure that he went out and he uh, he had a trade and he would go and he'd have this tent building ministry. And as he went in and and, and he made tents and and he'd give him opportunities to meet people and 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 share the love of Christ with them. And we see this happen throughout his ministry, not once, but a couple of times. But, but Paul's life was such a unique example of his desire to spread the gospel. Paul remembered the Thessalonians and their work of love, their labor of love in verse number 3. But now he reminds them that their labor and travail. The word labor literally is kopos, which means to beat as in the beating of the breast, it is suggested that there's weariness and laborious toil. It, takes, uh, it suggests that work results in weariness. This church worked, Paul worked, they worked together for the cause of Christ. In verse number 9, he says, Remember, brethren, our labor and travail. They labored together for the gospel of Christ. There's been times in ministry where we're wore out, isn't there? been times in ministry where there seems like there's a lot going on. But let me just remind you, remember, I, I don't know if anyone else felt it, but during Easter, we were pretty tired. The day after Easter, I think I was dead, as a matter of fact. Matter of fact, the, the day before Easter, we'd been out all day. We passed out tracks. and old Brother Moses went until five or, uh, five or six in the evening, passing out flyers in our community. And do you know, over the last several weeks, uh, that we have had over 70 first-time visitors at Hillside Baptist Church. I'm telling you what, God blesses when we step out and we uh, labor by faith. Paul and his companions, they labored for the Lord. But they also behaved in such a way that God got the glory. The word holy is used, holily. The word means to be pure from all crime. Religiously observant of every duty. Careful to fulfill every obligation. The word has to do with the discharge of one's duties toward God specifically. Think about Paul's life. He lived every aspect of his life just like this. I want to live my life in such a way that, that God, when, when I stand before God, he'll look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, it's not just about running a, a sprint. We talked about this in our Sunday school class today. Sometimes uh, we think that life is like a sprint, especially when we're young. Right, young, guy, young folks? We think, man, i got to get it all done, and it's got all, all going to be done in the next three months or two months or, or whenever it is. And, and I only have, and I know especially as some of them face college in the next year, they think about all the decisions they have to face, and they think the whole world is, is revolving around that decision right there. But let me remind you that life is not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. You've got to pace yourself. And, and when you think about your spiritual walk, it's not a sprint either. It's a marathon, and so that means instead of uh, picking up your Bible, your daily Bible reading, and saying, I'm going to knock out 20 chapters every day, instead, if you've never read your Bible before, how about starting with one chapter a day? If you've never been into the Word of God before, how about just saying, Lord, I'm just going to make sure that my life today, I, I meditate on, on and think about and ponder these scriptures, these three or four scriptures every day. Or maybe you're not a person of prayer, but you want to be. How about starting with just five minutes a day? You don't have to say, all right, pastor prays two hours a day. That's got to be my goal too. That can't, that, that's, that, if you're going from zero to two hours, you won't last very long, let me tell you. But if you say every day I want to try five minutes a day, what a difference it can make. 
Remember, this is, this is a, a time where God calls us to live holily, to just continue our duty every day and continue to be faithful. He also uses the word justly, it's didakos, and it carries the idea of straight dealing. He wants to make sure that, that, uh, that his life carried uh, and discharged his duties toward men in such a way that was right, that wasn't deceiving. We think about Paul's life. You remember, brethren, that our labor and travail, laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. He labored night and day. He willingly went out and he willingly told uh, and shared the gospel of Christ. Henry Kessinger, in his book, The White House Years, tells of a Harvard professor who had given an assignment and was collecting papers. He handed them back the next day, and at the bottom one was written, is this the best you can do? The student thought, no, and redid the paper. It was handed in again and received the same comments. This went on ten times until finally the student said, yes, this is the best I can do. And the professor replied, fine, now I'll read it. Listen, God doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to excellence. He says, listen, church, will you step up? Will you give your very best to the cause of Christ? Will you say, Lord, I don't have much to offer, but what I have to offer is completely and totally yours. I want to give you my time. I want to make sure I give you my talents. I want to make sure I give you my treasure. Everything about me, Lord, I want to put in your hands. I want you to be able to get the glory for my life. I want, Father, every aspect of my life to be glorifying to you and you alone. Will you pursue excellence? Sometimes we get comfortable we get to a place where, you know, things are trucking along pretty good. 70 first-time visitors, that's pretty good. Are we going to stop there? Are we going to continue to pursue excellence in our church? Are we going to continue to strive for the sake of the gospel? Are we going to continue through the summer to say, listen, I know that summer typically is a downtime for churches, but I want to see Christ glorified. I want to see my community one to Christ. And though people are busy and people are gone, I want to make sure that my ministry is faithfully executed throughout the summer months. I want to make sure that there's people at the door. I want to make sure that people know where to find their classes. I want to make sure that, that my ministry in the choir, or my ministry in, in, in the nursery, where's my wife? Amen. I want to make sure that my ministry is taken care of on a, on a regular basis because I want to give my very best to the Lord. Today, we serve a mighty God. And listen, we don't serve for personal reasons. We serve for a great reason. And that's the salvation of the precious souls and the lives in our community. We serve because there are people who are dying and on their way to hell. And let me remind you tonight, will we, like the Apostle Paul, be able to reach forth when the body is tired? Will we be able, like when the, when the heart desires to just, to just to find a place of rest and contentment, will we desire to say, Lord, I know that I'm weary, I know that I'm wore out, and I know that I don't want to go anymore, but God, I promise you, I want to continue to reach forth, strive to, for the, the cause of the gospel today. Paul, Timothy, Silas, they lived their life in such a way that I believe when they reached heaven that God looked at them and said, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. They didn't grow complacent. They weren't apathetic. But they continued to push. They continued to strive. They continued to share. Will we do that together?